वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु so again we are honored to have swami kirti pradananda ji among us he's our new swami in houston in the vedanta society of greater houston bhakti yoga the 12th chapter a very beloved chapter in the bhagavad gita it's one of the shortest with only 20 verses often as i said Uh, people start their gita study sometimes from the 12th chapter not from the beginning but from the 12th chapter um so what is done here is first arjuna asks krishna that all this time over the last 12 chapters in 11 chapters you have broadly indicated to me two paths one is a path of self inquiry realization that i am the vast limitless existence consciousness place that's one path the path of knowledge and then you have talked about god incarnation devotion um, the path of devotion bhakti so bhakti and gyana love and knowledge they seem to be two different paths and uh, uh, which of these is the better the precise way he formulated the question was these two yogas the two yo- the yogis proceeding along these two paths whose yoga is better whose yoga is better who who is a better knower of yoga that's the precise form in which he put it and krishna's answer is unambiguous he says the path of devotion the path of love the path of bhakti um is better why is going to come to that first he um talks about what is the path of knowledge that's what we saw last time in three verses two verses he outlines the path of knowledge uh, very succinct but very directly and then one verse he tells us what's difficult about it and then he starts the rest of the chapter is uh, teaching on bhakti the love of god all right let's just look through the verses you can repeat after me if you like from verse number 1 arjuna vacha arjuna vacha evam satata yuktaye evam satata yuktaye bhaktastvam paryupasate bhaktastvam paryupasate yechapyaksharam abhyaktam yechapyaksharam abhyaktam tesham ke yoga vittamah तेषाकेगवाच श्रीभगवाच मय्यावेश मनो ये मय्यावेश मनो ये मुक्तासते निुक्तासते श्रद्धया परेता श्रद्धया परेता ते मे युक्तमता ते मे युक्तमता ये तरमेश्यम ये तरमेश्यम अव्यक्त पर्युपासते 
ಅವ್ಯಕ್ತಸತೆ ಗಮಚಿತ್ಯಮಚಿತ್ಯಮಚಿತ್ಯಮಚಿತ್ಯಮ ಅಚಲಂ ಧ್ರುವಂ ಕೂಟಸ್ಥಂ ಅಚಲಂ ಧ್ರುವಂ ಸನ್ನಿಯಮ್ಯೇಂದ್ರಿಯಗ್ರಾಮ ಸನ್ನಿಯಮ್ಯೇಂದ್ರಿಯಗ್ರಾಮ ಸಮಬುದ್ಧಯ ಸಮಬುದ್ಧಯ So in these two verses, three and four, he has outlined the path of knowledge. What is the path of knowledge? And we, we saw last time, we ta- I talked about it last time, those whose hearts are set on the unmanifest, the imperishable, aksharam, the imperishable, brahman, atman, pure consciousness, um, the unmanifest. And we discussed each of these terms. They are very deep meanings. And sarvatragam, uh, which is all-pervading, the one non-dual reality. Achintyam, beyond thought. It's not an object of senses. It's not an object of language. It's not an object of thought. That means you can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it. But you can't also speak about it. You cannot even think about it. But it is that which illumines all thoughts. Right now, all the thoughts that are going on are being illumined by that. It is that which through the thoughts, that shining, everything else shines. Uh, so you can see the parallels with what we are doing here in the Mundak Upanishad class. Uh, the sun cannot illuminate, neither the moon, nor lightning, nor um, stars, nor this fire. But that shining, everything else shines. That shining, everything else shines means consciousness shining. Um, the mind is lit up. The mind shines with the borrowed light of consciousness. And with the mind lit up, the senses function. And with the senses, we experience the world. But none of them can objectify um, the self itself, consciousness itself. It's never an object to any of these. So, kutastham machalam dhruvam, three words he uses. Kutastham, the word kutastham literally means that which exists in the midst of a heap. Kuta means heap. So that which exists in reality in the midst of this false deceptive appearance. In the midst of samsara, ever-changing, there is one unshakable reality which shines. Now it's not that there are two things. There is a samsara and there is a something else called Atman, Brahman. If that were so, that would be dualism. That would be the you know, theistic approach. There is God and there is this world. No. In ignorance, it is this world of continuous change. In knowledge, it is one unchanging radiance. In ignorance, it is this mass of objects. Here. Whatever you see here, whatever you do experiments on, science, whatever you manipulate in our crafts and engineering, all of that objective world. In ignorance. In reality, it is that which appears as an object, but it's not an object. In ignorance, this is a struggle. In reality, this is an endless joy and radiance. So this is ignorance and reality, not two things separately. The same thing in ignorance is samsara, vishwa, world. The same thing in knowledge is Brahman, is one existence consciousness place, right here, right now. So this is kutastham, that which exists in the middle of maya, in the midst of 
Maya and its products. Samsara in the right here. Another word, achalam, that which is not subject to change, that which is not subject to movement. Chala means to move. The body moves, changes from birth to childhood to youth to middle age to old age to death. The body changes continuously. You, that one radiance which is you, it doesn't change. It shines equally in uh, before birth, in during birth, in childhood, in middle age, in old age and in death. The mind changes continuously throughout the days. So many thoughts, feelings, so many ideas, um, so many desires, so, so many emotions, ups and downs come and go in the mind. They arise and disappear. But that one consciousness does not arise and disappear. It's ever shining. The mind itself cycles through waking, dreaming and deep sleep. And again waking, dreaming and deep sleep. But that one consciousness doesn't cycle through anything. It's always shining. Achalam. Dhruvam. Dhruvam means unshakable. Everything else is shaky. Everything else is shaky. Um, I heard this funny thing. You know, this uh, our Swami in the, on the other side, Adishwaranandaji, many many years ago. Those who have seen him. So one of the things he was famous for, he had a huge range of humor. So somebody actually collected all his jokes. They showed me a book they had made. So one of the jokes was when the four yogas go wrong. You haven't understood it too well then. Then what happens? Jnana yoga, karma yoga, bhakti yoga. Uh, so karma yoga is supposed to serve the world unselfishly. But you end up uh, um, you know, Asking for money all the time, passing the basket around and asking for money, which is going to happen soon. <laughs> and uh, doing this work, that work, just being busy, not particularly spiritual. So he said, uh, so uh, that becomes shady. From karma, <laughs> karma yoga, it becomes shady. Um, Raja yoga, the way, way of meditation. So meditating in God, all sorts of weird things, you know, I have all these weird mystical experiences, always chasing this and that, I'm seeing visions and all that, so he called it spooky. And in the path of devotion, uh, he called it shaky. <laughs> you become very emotional, uh, always bursting into tears and things, like that. so shaky. And for Jnana, he said something I've forgotten. So shady, spooky, shaky. <laughs> These are the problems you may have. Um, dhruvam is unshakable. Consciousness does not is, is unshakable. Of unshakable existence. There is something very deep here. I can only indicate to it. We don't have time now. The 16th verse of this second chapter. Nasato vidyate bhava. It's, it's, uh, I've called it the philosophical heart of the Bhagavad Gita. Of course from a non-dual perspective. The basic idea there is, if you want details, you have to go, to go to the Shankara's commentary on that verse. The basic idea there is, whatever is impermanent, whatever is impermanent, does not have intrinsic existence. What do I mean by that? See, if something is lost and gained, then it never belonged to you in the first place. It's not yours. So, for example, um, you know, the example I had given when I was teaching that is the hot potato. 
potato is not intrinsically hot. When you're boiling it, it becomes hot. But then it was cold earlier, later on you serve it and put it on the table, after some time it will become cold again. It gained heat and lost heat. It, the heat did not belong to it. Neither did it belong to the boiling water in which you put the potato, because the water by itself is cool. Neither did it belong to the saucepan from, on which the water was being boiled. Even the saucepan is by nature cool. When you put it in the cupboard, it's still it's cold. But the fire is always hot. As long as it's burning, it's intrinsically hot. It's the property of the fire. Heat is the property of the fire. And all the rest, they borrow it. Now notice one thing. The fire, as long as it's burning, it's hot. But the saucepan and the water and the potato are not always hot. They gain it and lose it. The heat does not belong to them intrinsically. Now what is the, all this in aid of? Existence. Think about existence like that. If something gains and loses existence, then that existence did not belong to it intrinsically. It was borrowed from something else. Just like the water, the potato, the saucepan borrowed heat from ultimately the fire. But the fire did not borrow its heat from anything. So the fire does not gain its heat or lose its heat. It's always hot. This is a nice example. All of this is to show that if something is impermanent, Gaining existence and losing existence is a fancy way of saying impermanent. Something comes into existence and something goes out of existence. Something is born and something and dies. It's produced and destroyed. That's basically everything in this universe. Everything in this universe. To extraordinarily tiny particles which are born and die in millions of a second, billions of a second. To the vast galaxies spinning across the cosmos which last for billions of years, they are born and they die. Tagore, in one of his very evocative poems, he says, when a leaf falls from the tree and falls on the pool beneath and sets off a few ripples of water, those ripples spread across the universe in the birth and death of stars. The same ripples of impermanence across this entire universe, in the, our birth and death, the birth and death of the cosmos. So, all of these are born and they die, showing that they are impermanent. Impermanent means existence has been borrowed, existence has been lost. It, that means existence was not intrinsic to any of these things. All of these things do not have ex uh, intrinsic existence. And yet, they must have borrowed existence from something. Something which has intrinsic existence. So that one which has intrinsic existence, it's not a thing with intrinsic existence. There's a very subtle points here. There's a vast amount of dialectics behind it. If you say Brahman is something which enjoys intrinsic existence, immediately you will attract nearly a thousand years of Buddhistic dialectics against you. It will cut you to shreds. A thing with properties like existence, none of it makes sense. They'll show you. No. It is the very nature. It is Brahman itself, which is existence itself, pure being itself, pure awareness itself. So that thing has no, that has no borrowed existence. It is existence itself. Hence the word used is Dhruvam. All this sounds impossibly abstract. Not at all. It's you. It's you. It's your real nature. The real you is like that. That amazing thing which has, which is intrinsically real. It doesn't borrow its existence from anything else. So, Kutastham Achalam Dhruvam. Now, the next verse, fourth verse, 
tells us the advanced practices of Advaita Vedanta, advanced practices of Jnana. Three things it tells us. Sanyam Yendriyagramam. Restraining, controlling, focusing the senses, including the mind. Sarvatra Samabuddhaya. In the, in the intellect is the clarity that it is all the same, the same one existence, consciousness, bliss, everywhere. And Sarvabhuta Hiterata. With the body continuously engaged in, in the welfare of the entire universe and the welfare of all beings. Three things characterize the enlightened one or the one who is well along in the path of enlightenment. One is, um, what do you do with this body? Once you attain enlightenment or you think you have understood the, uh, that you are that Buddha nature, Atman, Brahman, once you, once you have got that clarity, what do you do? With this body. Because you realize clearly that you are not this body. Then. I remember one sadhu. In uh, Haridwar. Uh, he said. Ramananda Saraswati. He said to me. Three things. I mean I've never forgotten them. This happened near, about just about 20 years ago. This uh, sadhu is one of the few. I would consider to be enlightened. Whom I've seen in my life. She was sitting in the corner of on the floor of a room wearing a loincloth. I went there. Another senior monk took me to meet him. He said he would like this monk. Uh, he's a one, traditional wandering monk. And before I could, I bowed down to him. Before I could ask a question, he said three things to me. I had no more question after that. And I sort of sums up the core teaching of non-dual Vedanta. What it is, how it is to be realized and what do you do afterwards. So he, three things. I'll tell you in Hindi and translate his exact words and then translate for you. He said, Swaroop to apne jagat theek hai. Your real nature, Atman, Brahman, what's being talked about. It's perfect already. You are that perfection already. Uska upalabdi kaise kare? But how do you realize it? And then he gave an example. Bijli sarvatra hai, electricity is everywhere. Lekin ye jo fan ghoomti hai, ye bulb jalta hai, as the fan moves and the bulb shines. At that time neither the fan were moving nor the bulb was shining. It was daytime. It was sitting there. Um, then you understand that electricity here. So these are very good examples. Notice, the shining of the bulb is not electricity. Nor is the movement of the fan electricity. These are machines designed to do what they are doing. But they are powered by the same invisible force behind them. This is a very good way of putting what existence consciousness bliss is. Of course, you have to apply the example very carefully to see what it, where it applies, where it does not apply. Okay. Then the third thing he said to me was, Ab is sharir ka kya karna hai? Then what do you do with the rest of your life with this body? Ishwar ka hai, Ishwar ko samarpan kar do, aur dekho ahankar na ho. It belongs to God. Give it in God's work. Let it go in God's work. You know, surrender it to the Lord. Give it back to the Lord. And remember or be alert that you don't, you know, ego doesn't creep back in. Alright, so three things. You are that perfect Brahman already. It's done. Of course, remember, he sort of knew who I was. He knew clearly I was a monk of the Ramakrishna order. And he sort of sensed that the non-dual tendencies in this young monk. So his message was tailored in that way. It's, it may not appeal equally to everybody. So first is, you are that non-dual Brahman. 
Second, how do you realize it? In everything in this world, in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, in thinking, remembering, in action, in meditation, in waking, dreaming, sleep, there's only one radiance being revealed all the time. You have to have eyes to see that. Second, this is second. Third, now what do you do? You still have a life. You still have a body. A particular individual life is still continuing. What do you do with that? He says it belongs to Ishwara, Bhagavan, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara. Um, give it to the Lord. He knows that, uh, I, I presume he knew that I belong to the Ramakrishna order and we have a lot of wonderful work that we do for the welfare of others. He says wonderful, let the body go in that work. And remember there should not be any ego. The ego will again tie you back to this personality. That's all. Sanyam Yendriyagramam Sarvatra Samabuddhaya Sarvabhuta Hiteratha Three things you have to practice. One is, let this life go in the service of others. Swami Vivekananda said, let vision cease or if you cannot dream but better dreams which are, which are infinite love and service free. Let vision cease. Realize that you are Brahman and go. Merge into Brahman. You, you, this life is over. You are, you are free. Or if you cannot, you know, we scratch our head, um, that sounds cool, but I really can't. Then he says, dream but better dreams. If you can't stop dreaming, then why not dream a good dream? Why dream nightmares? He says, he characterizes our life here in this world. Even the best of, uh, most pleasant of lives which we have as nightmares. Either you are in the nightmare or you are in, it is potentially a nightmare at any moment. Ah, you do not know. It is very true. Yeah. I know, and she knows as an emergency ER doctor, <laughs> she knows what nightmares people can face any moment of their lives. And I all know a little bit because people in sorrow, they come. When there is sorrow, there is shock, they come. So it's possible, it's every time it's there, the possibility of a nightmare. Dream but better dreams. Why don't you dream a better dream? What is a better dream? Eternal love and service free. So love which is without any constraint, given to anybody and everybody and everything. We are going to discuss the life of the Holy Mother day after tomorrow. So that's an actual embodiment of that love. And service free. It is that not just love, not just feeling, nice feeling in the heart, but the whole life is an outpouring of service to others. Service to others constantly engaged in the good of all. Sarva Bhuta Hiteratha, that means it is. That constantly engaged in the good of all. So that is one, one practice. For the enlightened one, uh, or the person who is far along in the path of non-duality, that is what the person does. Or, naturally the person does it when one is enlightened. Jivan Mukta. So two things. It could be a practice until you attain to Jivan Mukti. Or for the Jivan Mukta, it's a natural manifestation. Constantly engaged in the welfare of all beings. Vivekananda says, until you are enlightened, this is the best possible dream that you can dream. Finest life one can lead. Wherever, and it's open to everybody. Wherever you are. Whatever you are, it's open to everybody. It's just a, a big internal shift. Now, this is not possible without, at the more subtle level, we are doing this with the body, physically, being engaged in the welfare of all beings. Sarva means all, Bhuta means all sentient beings. 
Hita means in their welfare. Rata means engaged, continuously engaged, pouring yourself out. Uh, just for the sake of completion, I will mention there is an esoteric interpretation also in this. Hita, there is another meaning, Nihita. That which is the innermost reality of all beings. So, Sarva Bhuta Nihite Rata. What is the innermost reality of all beings? Exactly what you have found inside yourself, in yourself. That I am this limitless pure consciousness. Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. That Shiva, limitless consciousness and bliss, is the nature of all beings. And you are constantly focused in that when you interact. Think yourself a body, everybody is a body to you. Think yourself a mind, a person, everybody is a person to you. That's where, where we, most of us are. Think yourself to be one with God, everybody is God to you. So, Sarva Bhuta Nihite Rata, the one who is in, in, in every sentient being, that one divinity, focused on that. So, that's an esoteric meaning of that, but that's not the uh, direct meaning. Direct meaning is one who is engaged in the welfare of all beings. You are engaged in the welfare of all beings. But that's not possible, Step one step back, until the mind and the senses are under control. Sanyamya Indriya Gramang. Grama means the whole set. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, all of those. To what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch and think. Mind also. That is restraint, under control. Under control means obedient to the knowledge that you have already gained. Right now there is a big gap between my knowledge and the thoughts in my mind, the feelings which are coming up and finally the activities which I, which I do. There is a gap. Why should there be a gap? What I know to be true, I should be, it should be reflected in my life. But that is, can be reflected only when the senses and the mind are under control. Swami Vivekananda, in a very nice little note which he wrote to an American disciple, summing up the four yogas in just one or two paragraphs. On the four yogas, it's in the complete works. He has at the end written about Jnana Yoga, the path of knowledge, this. He says, this is the shortest, fastest, he says, the most powerful, some other language he has used. And he says, many people come to an understanding. Few realize by this path. It's not difficult to understand really. What's being taught, it's an, and the understanding itself is most valuable. The understanding itself is most valuable. The understanding itself gives you some measure of peace and joy. Understanding. But that's not enlightenment. Few realize, he says. Why? He says, this method cons consists chiefly in the restraint of the senses. This is the exact language. Look what Krishna says. Sanyam Yendriya Gramang. Controlling the senses on all sides. Not letting them run wild. The eyes want to see certain things. All the senses have autonomous intelligence. They have their own ways of acting and own desires. It's agendas. Agendas. I, uh, I must be in charge of them. They must not be in charge of me. The Kato Upanishad gives the chariot metaphor. The senses are the horses. And the chariot is the body. The senses are the horses. The road, the lanes on which the horses run are the sense objects. You know, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch. The mind is the range by which the horses are controlled. Who is the driver? You might say, oh, then I am the driver. No, the intellect is the driver. You are the passenger, the witness, the consciousness in this body, the awareness in this body. Now, the intellect must be in control of the senses. 
through the mind. And then the Upanishad says, the senses have to be well trained to run only along the path which you decide and not on others. The mind has to be mindful. Samanaskar, literally mindful. Today, mindfulness, billion dollar industry in the United States. Thousands of years ago, the whole practice of mindfulness is important here because it, that will help you execute what you have realized. That will help us live what we have understood. And the intellect, Vigyanavan, the intellect must be soaked in that knowledge, that clarity. I am Brahman and all of these are Brahman. One existence consciousness place. Then he says, Sanyamendriya Gramang. What I, the, the senses have to be controlled on all sides. All of the senses have to be controlled. Not that we leave a little aside for relaxation, you know, that um, little, uh, uh, little uh, scope of, huh? Rest and recreation, yes. Little rest and little break from spirituality. Mahatma Gandhi, in one of his letters, he, he writes that when, you know, in his struggles against British rule, um, the freedom struggle, non-violent freedom struggle, so he gave emphasis on non-violence, on truth and control of the senses, on chastity. Now, some of the, his associates, they were not spiritual seekers. I mean, they were interested in the political struggle against the British. And they were a little puzzled. You know, I understand truth. Who, who can fight against truth? Everybody wants to be truthful. Nobody wants to <laughs> dispute that. All right, we understand truth. Non-violence, they thought it was a strategy used by Gandhiji to fight against a powerful enemy like the British. Be non-violent. For Gandhi, it was not a strategy. It was a spiritual struggle. So, but why things like chastity and, you know, morality, why, what, has, what have those things to do with my political struggle? Gandhi writes, sadly, you know, sort of with a touch of pathos, he writes, they do not understand that when all of these are controlled together, it's much easier than trying to control one and letting the others run riot. Lead a loose, uncontrolled life and try to be very truthful will be very difficult. Um, lead, uh, um, tell lies, give yourself permission to lie and then try to lead a strictly moral life will be very difficult. But do it all together, somewhat easier. So, Sanyamya Gramang, restraining the mind and the senses on all sides. Sarvatra Samabuddhaya, everywhere seeing the same reality. This is at the level of the intellect. So, three things have been prescribed by Krishna here as an advanced practice of knowledge. You want to realize I am pure consciousness and live it, then three things you need. One is Sarvabhuta Hiteratha. Be constantly engaged in the welfare of all. You have nothing to gain, nothing to lose anymore. Once you have understood what Vedanta is trying to say to you, you have nothing to gain or lose in this world anymore. You can just endlessly keep doing good without any condition to anybody. That's one. Second, at the level of the senses and the mind, keep them under control, focused, mindful, fixed manifesting the knowledge which you have got. Third, Sarvatra Samabuddhaya, seeing the same divinity, and not being fooled. What is here is the same divinity with a layer of personality, mind. And in that layer of personality, good and bad are all mixed up. Don't think everybody is literally a saint. No, a saint and Brahman are different. Everybody is Brahman. 
But everybody is not a saint. <laughs> Brahman, the, so in a movie, all is light and pictures and a screen. But all are not heroes in the movie. At the level of the movie, there are heroes and villains. So one must be aware of that. But seeing the same divinity in all beings. So these three practices, Samabuddha, Sarvatra, Samabuddha, these three practices together will manifest that divinity, that realization that I am Brahman. You might say a little difficult. Yes, Krishna comes to the next verse. Number five. Klesho Adhika Taras Tesham Klesho Adhika Taras Tesham Avyakta Sakta Chetasam Avyakta Sakta Chetasam Avyakta Hi Gatir Dukkham Avyakta Hi Gatir Dukkham Deha Vadbhira Vapyate the trouble of those whose minds are attached to the unmanifest is greater, for the way of the unmanifest is attained with difficulty by the embodied soul. Alright, so why did Krishna say the path of devotion is better? Because the path, this path which we just talked about, the path of knowledge, is difficult. It's difficult. Why is it difficult? Avyaktahi gadir dukkham deha vadbhiravapyate. For those who are embodied, this path is difficult. Those who are embodied does not mean those with bodies. Everybody has bodies. We all have bodies. They also have bodies. Embodied does not mean the one with a body. It means the one who identifies as a body. As long as we think, feel and behave as this body, primarily I am this body. I am a body. When you tell me that, what about mind? Don't you have minds? Are you mindless? Do, aren't you aware? What about consciousness, self? Yeah, I'm a body with mind and consciousness and whatever. Primarily body. For such persons, it's difficult to think of themselves and let alone others as pure consciousness. If I primarily think of myself as this body, it's very difficult. It always, at most I can think of myself as, you know, use language like, in my pure consciousness, in my pure consciousness, like in my liver or my heart or my kidney. No, you are that pure consciousness. So for people who are strongly body-rooted, it's difficult to conceive of themselves as, um, as awareness only. And unless you can think of yourself as awareness, you cannot think of others as awareness also. Um, as I said earlier, think of yourself as a body, everybody is a body to you. Think of yourself as a mind, as a person. Everybody is a person to you. Just like most of us. We think I am a person. So immediately you all are persons to me. That's why this question comes often. If, if God is everything, if Brahman is everywhere, if God is everywhere, why are some people so evil? You are thinking of persons. Personalities are good. Personalities are evil. Clearly there are evil persons. But that does not mean that God is not in the background. The same Brahman is everywhere. Just because in the movie a person is a hero and there's one hero and there's a villain doesn't mean that equally they're not both the same movie screen. In your dream, there might be a good person and good happenings and the bad person and terrible happenings. But when you wake up, all of that, good and bad, you were it. You were both of them. So uh, as long as we think we're a person, everybody's a person to us. And when you think, when you realize you are spirit, your consciousness, 
then everybody is that pure spirit or consciousness. Until we do that, not possible. And that centeredness, awareness of awareness, is impossible as long as we think we are body. The body identification means we are perpetually flowing outward into the world. Identified with body, identified with sense, identified with mind. It says, the senses have been turned outwards and therefore our attention flows outwards into the world. Therefore we see the world outside, not the innermost reality. The commentator here in this particular book I'm using, the Sridhar Swami, he says, Dehabhimaninam nityam pratyak pravanatvasya durghatatvat iti bhava. Those who, are, who think Dehatma, I am the body. For them to remain steady as I am the witness consciousness, Sakshi, I am Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. That he says, Nityam, constantly remain in that is very difficult. It's not that we do not get it. Sometimes we do get it. And with a little bit of guided meditation, little bit of listening to Vedanta, and then sitting quietly, once in a while we do get begin to get what is being said. But to remain there, everybody complains. It goes away, Swami, after the class. Yeah. Yes, that's what he's saying here. It'll go away. And that comes of body-rootedness. So what's the way out? Krishna says, now come to Bhakti Yoga. He's selling bhakti yoga, by the way. That's why this is the preparation. <laughs> There's a new term I heard called steel manning. You know what steel manning is? Have you heard of straw manning? Straw manning is that if you want to defeat somebody, you misrepresent their argument in the cheapest, most lightest way and then knock it over. Straw man. Straw man argument. And then say, I've defeated you. You give a rather silly version of your argument and then they knock it over. Steel manning is, let me give the best possible version of your argument. What you are saying, I will, I will help you to put your argument very strongly. Then I'll knock it down. Then there's no possible way of your, your recovering. So Krishna does that. Steel manning. He gave the best possible representation of non-dual Vedanta. Just now he did that. And then he knocks it down by saying it's difficult. In contrast, difficult in contrast to what? Here, number six. Yetu sarvani karmani, yetu sarvani karmani, mai sanyasya matparaha, mai sanyasya matparaha, ananyenaiva yogena, ananyenaiva yogena, mangdhyayanta upasate. Mam dhyayanta upasate Teshamaham samudharta Teshamaham samudharta Mrityu samsara sagarat Mrityu samsara sagarat Bhavami nachirat partha Bhavami nachirat partha Maya beshita chetasam those, however, who renouncing all actions in me and being attached to me, worship me with unswerving devotion through meditation, these people who have fixed their minds on me, I quickly redeem from this ocean of transmigratory existence beset with death. Alright, this will need some explanation. This is the path of bhakti. 
Are some of you feeling hot or warm? Do you need the fan on? No, no? you're all right? I'm all right, because uh, if I see people getting sleepy, it's either me or it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. The what? Or too tired. Or too tired, yeah. So that happens. This is New York. <laughs> Many people don't realize how tired they are. Some people used to come to Sri Ramakrishna and promptly fall asleep. <laughs> and Sri Ramakrishna said, let them sleep, let them sleep, you know. Many people don't realize how tired they are. All right. Yetu sarvani karmani, those, however, who give up, who sacrifice all their work to me, etc. This word, too, small word, it means but, or translated as however. To distinguish it from those who were preceding. So those who are now not on that path but on the path of bhakti. See the distinction is this. The problem with that path really is it's not that they don't work. Krishna says they will attain me too. They they will attain that ultimate reality. The enlightened, those who walk on the path of non-duality. But, there is a but there. That requires preparation. That has certain initial conditions. If you go to the original texts, both in Vedanta, in the path of knowledge, in the path of yoga, they have what is called adhikari, initial conditions, the entry conditions. There is certain barrier set up. Um, I remember studying, uh, you know, the first lesson we got in economics class in, back in school. Demand. How do you define demand? Demand for goods and services. I remember demand was defined as desire. But it's not enough to want something. You can go window shopping. You can look at Amazon Prime and so many things are there. You want many of them. It's not enough. It's not enough to want. Not enough to have desire for that, for that product. Then you must have the ability to pay for it. You must have money. <laughs> Obviously, you said that's a no-brainer. But yes, this is economics. They have to make sure that you can pay for it. <laughs> is your credit card... Amazon Prime is wonderful, as long as you have money. <laughs> it will immediately fulfill your desires. But not free. There is, uh, so you have to load your uh, credit card or whatever, a debit card into it, and then it will fulfill. Ability to pay. Then third component, willingness to pay. So three things are necessary. You might say, I really like this product. Do you have the money for it? Yes. Do you want to pay for it? No. <laughs> it's too expensive. So all three must be satisfied. Then your desire becomes a demand. Similarly, in the path of yoga, in the path of Advaita, it's not enough to want it, that I want to be liberated. But do I have the ability to pay for it and the willingness to put in the work for it? And that's where we hesitate. The commitment for it. This is the, that word too. But. What about bhakti then? In bhakti something miraculous happens. All you need is the desire. Do you want God? Yes. There also we are hesitate. Yeah, but there's a footnote. Fine print. I want God but not too much. I mean I have to be honest. I want God quite a bit. But not very much. Then that's also fine. In the path of knowledge, mumukshutvam, intense desire for freedom from samsara. 
we scratch our heads and say, I'm well, not intense. I have a desire. I would like to have these things enlightened. I'd like to be enlightened. I would like, who doesn't want to be uh, Jeevan Mukta, enlightened while, you know, living or a Buddha, whatever. But the demand, ask is too much. Whereas in Bhakti, not only you have desire for God, even a little bit is enough for you to start. They really make it so easy, you can't say no. <laughs> There is literally nobody who cannot start. Anybody can start. It doesn't even demand that you make God your priority. You can just put God in one of the, in the entire list of to-do things. You can even put God below the dog, you know, D-O-G dog and then G-O-D God. <laughs> the list of priorities, uh, way down in the list. Anywhere when God makes an entry, slowly it will spread all over your life and take over. And if you can make it the top of your priority, even better. It will take over very fast. So, desire for God. That's all you need. The willingness to pay, ability to pay, all that will come later. God will provide with all of it. He will give you an un unlimited line of credit for you. <laughs> but, uh, just the desire is enough. That is the meaning of tu. Bhakti can start with that. It does not demand initial entry conditions. Um, then he says, Sarvani Karmani. All your actions, renouncing all your actions. See, all your actions, two meanings are there, two levels of meanings. One is, in contrast to those earlier practices, whether you do ritualistic, you know, the Vedic rituals, which were very elaborate rituals. Those were specific rituals you did. They were not the, like your, the rest of your life in those days, farming or you know, um, you know, family work, cooking or um, you know, administering a kingdom, whatever. Those were different activities, secular. This was a specific ritual that you did. Or yoga. You have to sit in this way. You have to breathe in this way. You have to focus your mind. Specific activity. Not everything is yoga. Meditation. Not everything is meditation. No, no, no. Meditation is very specific. Jnana, the path of knowledge. It doesn't mean going and reading lots of books. Not at all. It doesn't mean going and reading the encyclopedia. Not at all. It means very specific. You read these Upanishads, you read the Bhagavad Gita under a, uh, under a guru, under a teacher. You systematically study the Prakarana Granthas, the uh, associated texts. Vivek Churamani, Atma Bodha, the Aparoksha Anubhuti, Trigdrishya, so many texts are there. Some at least have best studies technically in a, uh, in, in a systematic way, under a guru, under a teacher. So these are specific activities. They will take you to enlightenment, those activities, not everything else. But here he is saying in the path of bhakti, Sarvani Karmani. Here is not making a distinction between technique and other things. Spiritual activity and secular activity is not making a distinction. Whatever you do, whatever you are already doing, that can be converted into bhakti, love of God. Sarvani karmani. This is the first meaning. See, what happens is, we make a distinction between uh, my spiritual practice and the rest of my life. So I, we complain, I have, uh, don't have much time for spiritual practice, you know, tiredness, I don't have energy for it, I don't have time for it. 
where who has got time for sitting there and meditating chanting reading this chanting the gita and all of that who's got time except monks monks have all the time in the world but the rest of us we are busy but what he is saying here is krishna sarvangani karmani whatever are you doing something else of course i have lots of things to do good let's see what are you doing those will become spiritual practices so what is the deeper meaning of sarvangani karmani is erasing the the line he says is a fictitious line between sacred and secular he is saying the life itself becomes the practice this is the most evolved form of practice distinction between upaya and upeya upaya means method upaya means the goal which you are reaching with the method he says now every practice is a is a way of reaching the goal some further thing i will say about it later the broader meaning of the deeper meaning of this is that the all this distinction between spiritual and secular this is being sacred and secular this distinction is erased not that everything becomes secular rather everything is now deliberately made spiritual sacred all of my life it's not just sitting in front of the altar and doing the puja but also that is sacred definitely we have a tendency to turn even the sacred into secular <laughs> in a monastery we used to joke you know so what's your duty today puja duty so the puja also becomes a duty <laughs> no it's nothing is a duty it's all a spiritual practice which will take me to enlightenment the um, puja is a spiritual practice the cooking is a spiritual practice the cleaning is a spiritual practice teaching the students in the school is a spiritual practice rearing a child and building a home is a spiritual practice building up a business organization is a spiritual practice it isn't a spiritual practice automatically it has to be converted by a change in our attitude not by itself by itself is a worldly activity it has to be changed into this sarvani karmani what do you do with that how do you change all these activities into spiritual practices all of them not a distinction between specific techniques and rest of my life rather all of my life so the specific techniques i won't do no you'll do all of that also you will also do your uh, mantra you will also do your puja also that plus everything else remember he is talking to arjuna who is going to fight a war the most secular violent awful of activities how can you be spiritual in the midst of that then he says how do you do that mai sanyasya renouncing into me renouncing all activities unto me now this has to be understood very carefully because the general understanding then and even now but especially then was if you want to be spiritual what krishna is saying give up everything else for god which means basically become a monk stop your um, uh, you know earning money building up your property raising a family um, and fighting this war but that's not krishna's advice krishna's advice is just the opposite he wants to stop arjuna from running away he wants to ask arjuna to continue in this life itself which arjuna doesn't want to do he says make this life your spiritual practice include all your spiritual practices also include your meditation your chanting your repeating the mantra all of that plus all of what you are doing in life your job your work at home everything is a spiritual practice 
Mahi sannyasya. Here, sannyasa, the word sannyasya literally means renouncing, becoming a monk, sannyasi. Here, is, another meaning is used. Sannyasya means offering unto me. Offering unto me. Unto me, Krishna, you offer all your activities. Then every activity becomes a spiritual technique. Why are you doing this? I am doing it to earn money. I am doing it because to please my family. I am doing it because it's entertaining. All of these are worldly goals. Why are you doing it? I am doing it to please God. I am doing the same thing, same activity, same activity. I am doing it to realize God. Two examples. One Gandhi and another Nasa. Gandhi, of course, I have mentioned a number of times. Uh, is uh, Mahatma Gandhi was asked... You are beginning to feel. I can see people taking off their sweaters and <laughs> put on the fan. I can put on the fans there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because it's very sleep inducing. Cold is good. <laughs> so Gandhi was, uh, he said, who, who am I? Uh, and uh, people in his biography, his autobiography, people think that some people think that I am a politician, some think I am a freedom fighter, some think I am a social reformer, which all of which he was. But he says, if you ask me, who are you? I will say I am a simple man in search of God. Which means all of those varied activities which he did all his life, a tremendously busy man, till the moment of his death. Tremendously busy man. But for him, he was doing only one thing. He's doing only one thing. He's searching for God. Doing only one thing. So that's Gandhi. NASA. Uh, inspiring little anecdote I heard. When uh, John F. Kennedy, he gave the mission that America is going to the moon in um, um, 10 years. Yeah. Swami in Houston. <laughs> mission control is there. Yeah. So... Uh, he went on inspection. The story goes, he went on inspection in the main NASA facility, maybe at Houston, I don't know. And he's walking around and he apparently met this janitor and he asked, what do you do here? And the janitor said, sir, we are, we are sending a man to the moon. I'm sending a man to the moon. See, that idea, that every work that I do is um, taking me Godward. Ma Sharada, once one of the monks, I think Swami Arupananda probably, Rajbihari Maharaj. So he had, she had this little household in the village and some of the monks helped her, served her because she was their guru. But the work they did was running errands, cultivating the fields, cleaning the place and all sorts of little household chores, you know. And one of the monks once said to her, Mother... Some of your sons, some of your children are so learned and great. You know, Swami Saradanandaji, he has written this extensive biography of Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna, the great master, Lila Prashango. And look at us. We are so sort of only semi-educated. We are just doing household chores all day long. She said, what of that, my child? Her answer, structured answer, look at Sri Ramakrishna. He was not all that educated. But he was a spiritual giant, the greatest spiritual giant ever. She didn't say that, but she said he was not all that well-read in, you know, he was not a great reader of books and writer of books. Second, she said, all the work you do is the work of the master. 
whatever you do whatever he is doing and whatever you are doing for the master it is the same after all what's your goal it's not to write books right it's to attain god realization of course he added something else however he said a learned monk which is a phrase which she used to use hati dat shonadiya vada so it's ivory covered with gold so kings in those days they would treasure they would have ivory and uh, the tusks of elephants would sometimes be wrapped with gold that made it even more valuable so ivory is valuable on top of that if you put gold ornaments becomes more valuable so it's a phrase so because you are spiritual seekers because you are monks you are most valuable but on top of that if you are of course learned and all that it makes it all the more valuable but the point is all the activities are for god mai sanyasya matparaha um being dedicated unto me having me as your uh, as your goal having god as your goal why are you doing all this not for worldly not for earning money though you will get the money if you work if you work in the job you will get the money but your goal is no longer getting that money to please my family the family will be pleased but it's not your goal anymore the goal is to please the lord that's your it's a vast internal shift matpara another meaning of matpara is with me as your support psychologically what is your support is it your support that you have lots of money in the bank is it your support that you have a big extended family is it your support that you have powerful political friends is it your support that you are physically strong no or that you have lots of uh, academic degrees no the real support is god that actually is the only support there is ever we falsely think that the, all these other things are our support ananyeneva yogena mam dhyayanta upasate by this one pointed yoga be dedicate keep your mind focused on one thing on only just see the janitor and gandhi one thing peculiar to them was one thing only and that one thing for gandhi was god not sending a man to the moon but it was god whatever we are doing we are about one thing only we are about love of god nothing else when you have that ananyanena yoga you know that one pointed yoga that i eyes are unblinkingly fixed on god and god alone you become god like in the mundaka upanishad we are studying we will come to it next there is a very beautiful mantra of the two birds very famous in the mundaka upanishad higher bird lower bird there is a tree tree is the bo- human body actually and the higher bird is pure consciousness lower bird is the mind and the ego and all of that now the lower bird hops from tree to tree, to branch to branch and pecks at different fruit sweet fruits and uh, loves eating them once in a while it pecks at a very bitter fruit and gets a shock disgusted you know ew <laughs> and then it looks up and sees that higher bird which is shining in its own glory and not eating anything it's just pure awareness and thinks that's wonderful i should be like that why am i like this and then it hops towards the higher bird but then gets distracted by a particularly d- delicious looking fruit and says just once more and goes there and it's so delicious it forgets the higher bird then goes on pecking looking at repeating different fruits until it pecks at a particularly disturbing awful ugly fruit and then it gets uh, distaste for all this what it has been doing and looks up oh i forgot 
and starts again. This gap might take lifetimes. <laughs> and again moves towards the higher bird and the fin finally the story ends with as it comes closer and closer to the higher bird, its own plumage begins to shine in that reflected uh, glory until it suddenly realizes there was no lower bird at all. There was always the higher bird. That's the, that's the metaphor used for spiritual life. As you continuously focus, Dwa Suparna Sayuja Sakhaya, two birds of similar plumage, both are consciousness. Dwa Suparna Sayuja Sakhaya, Samani Vrikshe Parishaswajate, they're mounted on, they're living in the same tree. Tayoranya Pippalam Swadvati, Anashna Nanyo, Vijakashiti, one of them tastes various fruits, sweet and bitter. And the other one, without eating, witness consciousness, continuously watches. Watch this means it shines. You become like that higher bird when you are continuously in bhakti. The lower bird is continuously is worldly, trying for desperately fighting the battle for worldly advantage and always losing in the end. So, ananyenena yogena maam dhyayanta upasate meditates upon me. Upasate literally means worships. But if you, etymologically, it means upasana, to sit near. The Lord is saying, my dear child, you are tired with your worldly labors. Come, sit near me. It's a very beautiful way of putting. Come, sit near me. Upa, near. Asana, to sit. Worship literally means sitting near. Come, sit near me. New Testament, so touching. Jesus says, Ye that are heavy laden, you are heavily laden, heavily burdened in this world. Come unto me. I shall relieve you of your burden. I shall put my yoke on you. I will also put you to work. But my yoke is light. It's joyous and light. The work that you will do for God, this work, can convert all work into God seeking, into God practice. Um, then it is a joyous work. Interestingly, it's the same work. You would still be doing whatever you are doing. Upasati. But then what will happen? Teshamaham samudhatta mrityu samsara sagarat. For them I become the rescuer from the ocean of death. Teshamaham samudhatta mrityu samsara sagarat. Bhavami nasirat pasta. O Arjuna, I become the rescuer. I will pull you out from the ocean of death. This continuous coming into being and disappearing. Is being born and dying, uh, appearing and disappearing, bobbing up and down in this shoreless ocean of the cosmos of life. This will stop. I will pull you out. Nachirat, quickly, quickly. It will not take long. Not the lifetimes long process of uh, spiritual evolution culminating in enlightenment. No, quickly I will do it. If you have this one-pointed focus and love of God and convert your activities into worship of God, See, this immersion in God, those who are immersed mentally, intellectually, emotionally immersed in God. Avesha. I explained at that time, a couple of classes ago. Avesha literally means like being possessed by a ghost. So being possessed by God. This itself is liberation. This itself is liberation. Mira's song is there. Uh, very beautiful song. Mohe Lagi Lagan Hari Charanan ki. There are two versions. Prabhu Charanan ki, Hari Charanan ki. Meera sings, the, the lover of God, she sings. 
that my mind is now is this tremendous pull of the feet of my beloved lord my mind is fixed there mohe lagi lagan prabhu charanan ki then one of the lines there is like this it goes like this sukh gaye bhavasagar fikar nahi mohe taranan ki the whole ocean of samsara this ocean krishna says i will rescue you from the ocean of samsara the ocean of samsara has dried up i have no longer any fear of crossing over there are no more waves anymore see this whole thing is a chimera it's an appearance the reality is this itself is brahman as you intently fix on this reality you will realize this itself is brahman where has the world gone where are the waves that people are afraid of where is this life and death and sorrow and misery and frustration those waves have gone and only krishna remains for me so fikar nahi mohitarnan ki i have no more fear of in you know, this anxiety about crossing over when will i attain liberation moksha it's all gone because i found my beloved lord here and now forever that's it this was a question yes please ask the question wait for that microphone tell us your name and ask the question um hi swami ji uh, i'm priya yes um so can, can you speak into the microphone yeah can you hear me yes yeah uh, i'm priya so i'm just wondering why krishna is advocating for um you know staying in the material world and uh, doing all the activities as spiritual practices if the goal of life is realizing god um is it why is he not talking about renouncing the world and retreating into meditation he is but that will be only possible for a few people it's not that those who renounce the world and become monks they cannot realize god of course they can it's it's a special kind of life which has been designed to help you to set aside many other problems and help you to realize god the monastic life every religion has it some religions have formal monasticism like buddhism jainism which are heavily monastic or hinduism and christianity catholic christianity which are monastic also which have monasticism there some do not have formal monasticism islam and judaism but there have been hermits uh, 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 saints and hermits who were by nature monastic so the whole they set aside everything god and only god enlightenment and only enlightenment even if they don't use the god language as in buddhism and jainism but enlightenment only and will those persons realize god of course certainly they will but the thing is that kind of formal renunciation of everything in the pursuit of god realization is not possible for everybody and in you know when you have an over emphasis on monasticism what happens in india there is a general feeling also that all these things are actually for monks not for the rest of us but that's not true krishna is not a monk nor is arjuna and is not being taught gita is not taught in a, in a uh, monastery or in a vedanta society it's being taught in the battlefield it's not taught in the himalayas so there's a reason for that that spirituality is for everybody we are all sentient beings and our real nature is brahman it does not matter in this particular life whether you put on as somebody said uh, orange bed sheets <laughs> i remember this was in baltimore was one of the my friend aswami was driving me along there was a talk in john sopkin uh, university so we are going along and there was this person i think he was one of the letter people lgbtq plus so 
he was walking down he she they them they're walking down they were dressed in this outrageous pink and everything and uh, uh, my friend said hey that look look that's uh, it, it looks so f funny and i said to him he was dressed like this i said to him so says the grown man dressed in orange bed sheets <laughs> <laughs> that guy is funny what are you <laughs> no you don't have to be but it's not possible for everybody can the entire society society become monastic no only a special uh, small group can be monastic but can everybody become spiritual yes anybody who wants that's the promise of the path of bhakti anybody who wants spirituality can become spiritual anybody who wants enlightenment can get enlightenment that's the thing krishna is saying so this is the it's a very powerful message which is now you can't escape <laughs> you see if he said only by becoming a monk you can become enlightened we'll say oh well better luck next life you know not this life i can't it's it's too late for me or things are not quite right but if you say you can become enlightened in this life wherever you are whatever you are or at least you can make a beginning then there's no escape for me i have to then say if i really genuinely interested in spirituality then i have to try yes gentlemen here can we just wait for the microphone and then you yeah namaste swami ji so following on that same question uh, in the next chapter uh, bhagwan krishna says uh, unconditionally he says vivikta desha sevitvam aratyar jana samsadi mm -hmm. and he says no that is the knowledge everything else is ignorance mm -hmm. with, he doesn't say only for agnani this that and other things right mm -hmm. so this seemingly contradictory teachings mm -hmm. uh, how to understand that yeah so in the next chapter he'll talk about exactly a monastic attitude who retreats to solitary places and uh, dislikes the crowds of people clearly not somebody who stays in manhattan <laughs> so yes so that's for, that's for the other kind of life the path of gyana the monastic the monk who uh, the hermit and there are such people even now in this world yes certainly that's definitely a path um and he is not saying for everybody that we'll come to that's next chapter let me do a peace chant i'll come to your question but i'll let me do the peace chant first and then i'll come to the question om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupa namastu namaste swami ji uh, my name is parthik um my question was uh so it's natural to have love for people in your life like your parents or your or your friends but how can someone develop love for god who at best they've only heard about yes but hearing is itself is good enough you hear about it you hear the lives of saints like mira and others who loved god and by reading the lives of the saints reading about the excellence and the qualities of god um especially avatars who were in human history uh, you generate a liking for them a love for them and then you cultivate it further the you know attachment comes by dwelling on something the more you read about their lives the more you read about the teachings more you actually ritualistically worship you listen to songs of devotion the feeling comes up the feeling comes up people fall in love with um, cinema characters <laughs> who don't exist you know they don't exist you fall in love with them yeah so it is basically a way of focusing our emotions on god yes the gentleman there 
नमस्ते स्वामी जी दैट्स वाई बाय द वे दिस इज कॉल्ड द पैथ ऑफ फेथ द डिस्टिंगशन बिटवीन पैथ ऑफ नॉलेज एंड पैथ ऑफ फेथ इज दिस the path of knowledge tells you knowledge for knowledge means what you know so you know this is a picture of sri ramakrishna there's no doubt about it you don't have to believe it you say you know yeah i know this is a picture of sri ramakrishna but sri ramakrishna was an avatar uh, and there is a divine presence in the picture those things at best most of us will say that either we don't believe in such things or most of us will say we believe in such things um, some of us might say we don't believe in such things uh we will say even those of us believe we'll say we believe in it I, we can't say we know it only a very few lucky few will be able to say we know it and that is an advanced stage of bhakti so bhakti the love of god is a path of faith in this path you can't start with richard dawkins and christopher hitchens and sam harris and all your faith will disappear the path of god, knowledge however is proof against uh, is uh, protected against the attacks of uh, atheists and skeptics so if a person says i can't believe all this stuff all right there's the other path for you the path of knowledge uh, philosophical inquiry called gyana the path of mystical experience called yoga those are open those are empirical paths rational paths there's a path of devotion which is this one but it depends heavily on faith i do not know yet i have not seen this yet but i take it on faith as part of tradition as part of what i have read as i read their lives the lives of the saints who loved god and i feel inspired i feel some of the same in my heart good enough you can start yes um yeah so tell us your name uh, my name is prasoon yes um the question i had was uh how do you have bhakti during war where uh when you mentioned that i thought of an example of like um suicide bombers where they have this i guess in their eyes bhakti towards god but i guess from a societal perspective it's not dharmic it's not dharmic yeah there's two things one is how do you have bhakti during war well it's usually during war that you have bhakti there's a saying that there's there are no atheists in the foxholes so in the first world war there was heavy shelling and uh, soldiers had to dig these foxholes and that means like little little trenches and you jump into them hide to, to save yourself from incoming artillery and in those foxholes when you're waiting for the shells to fall nobody was an atheist they all started praying to god at least spare me don't, don't let me be killed in war people even atheists turn to god so because when you're put in danger in mortal danger so bhakti comes easily when you are in trouble one of the um, krishna says atta those who are distressed not just physical danger maybe even worse when somebody beloved to us is in danger somebody is sick dying or somebody is suffering and we can't help we are mortal beings we have very limited power to help then what do you do so people turn to bhakti but the specific case you asked See, I know. I would think that a person like that was more full of hate rather than love. I might think that my religion is commanding me to do that. That is part of the belief system, but also motivated by hate of that particular target. It's not that the heart is full of so much love that I'm going to blow myself up. No, generally that doesn't happen. The lady here, and that'll be the last question. Can you pass down the microphone? Yes. Namaskar Swami ji. Tell um, us your name. Uh my name is Isha. 
um swami ji on breaking down compartments uh, in our life and kind of spiritualizing all the compartments as a spiritual seeker who meditates in the morning and the evening those two serve as checkpoints so that uh, the worldly life you go through you are able to let go of uh those worldly experiences and connect with the divine uh is the ideal because you don't want to just depend on those two checkpoints so is the ideal to always be 24/7 connected to that divine that you connect with the meditation across all the compartments or is it because right now the experience is you kind of become worldly when you go out into the world and then you sit down to meditate and you let go of it yes one has to be a little careful here the message of krishna is let me be there throughout your days your days and nights and months and years let me be there all the time with you and that's ideal we want to break down the barrier between practice and life yeah. make it a permeable barrier but uh, here is the important thing that morning and evening meditation where you try to push the world away and sit give it give time and space to god only that's most valuable especially in the beginning uh, beginning years which will go on for a long time in our lives one of our great monks used to say that yes the goal is work is worship but first first uh, work and worship there is work and there is a time for worship where you push everything else aside and worship then second is work as worship and then finally work is worship otherwise the work is worship will remain as a rhetoric as like a slogan so the morning and evening times of spiritual practice must be protected carefully and indeed expanded into more and more of your life uh, you know martin luther the founder of protestant uh, christianity so one thing i liked about his writings one thing he said was that every day i spend an hour on my knees praying to our lord one hour before my day starts he says one hour praying to the lord the day i have no time i spent 2 hours <laughs> so yeah that is the importance of prayer in meditation the more difficult days you seem that today there's i'm going to be too busy find more time be more centered more immersed in god i've done the peace chant so i let me pray to takur ma swami ji to bless all of us Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year, everybody. Take care. We'll meet soon again. All right. Thank you.